What it do, baby? Welcome back to episode six of the Basketball Junkies podcast. I'm your host, Sadi K. I'm with my boy, the one and only Slim H. What up, everyone? It's your boy, Slim H. I'm super excited to get started today, like usual. Before we start, I want to give a big thanks to everyone who's been showing us love on all our social media platforms. Keep it up and let's get to it. Yeah, I know. We have an exciting episode for all you guys listening. Let's hop into the first segment of the show, the weekly wrap up. Yeah, and to start this week, uh, we had some sad news coming out of the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, their recent signing, LaMarcus Aldridge, had to retire due to some heart issues. He was looking to win a championship this year, so some sad news for him. He's one of my favorite players to watch for the past decade. Uh, low post scorer, unstoppable. Once he got the ball on the left block, he was unguardable. One of my, Like I said, one of my favorite players to watch, so I wish him a speedy recovery. Yeah, I know. Uh, he was a great big man. Sad news to hear. Seven-time All-Star, five-time All-NBA, 19.6 points per game for his career. I wish him all the best, speedy recovery. Dame Lillard said, yo, let's retire his jersey, which would be surprising. He did have a great career in Portland. Sad he never got to play with Brandon Roy and Greg Oden. Uh, we also had some crazy stat lines this week, right? But just like last week, I said, I don't care about one-off games. I look for consistency. And <laughs> Bro, I did not rate this guy at all. To be honest, I thought it was a little overrated, but holy, this guy's going off. Julius Randle, four games this week, 36 points, eight rebounds, seven assists, two steals, 48% from the field, 46% from three. He's shooting eight threes a game. They went 4-0. They beat the Lakers, New Orleans twice, Dallas. I don't know. That's, to me, like, that's an impressive, impressive run. Yeah, no, Julia, I mentioned, I think, our first podcast. I was a little low on Julius Randle, saying I think he was shooting, I think, what, like, almost 40% from three, and he was a regular 30% for his whole career. So I thought his shooting numbers would go down, but... Now, he's proven me wrong. He's been balling ever since the All Star break. He's even he's picked up a new level. Like, he's carrying this New York team. He's dominating, and he looks he looks like the All Star that fans voted him in. And he's looking definitely the most improved player, a lock for that. And maybe if they keep winning, maybe even All NBA team. You never know. You know what's funny? I was uh, on Twitter yesterday, and someone said Julius Randle looks like Chris Bosh 2.0. I don't know if that's accurate or not because you know Chris Bosh carried some bad Raptors teams to the playoffs, but. He's having heck of a season. Great run. Definitely surprised me. When I when we did our first episode, I said their strength of schedule was one of the hardest coming up. And hey, they're sitting in the sixth seed right now, tied for fourth. It's pretty crazy. I want to give another shout out, though. Canadian from Quebec. It's not Chris Boucher. It's not Kem Burt. It's Lou Dort. Even though OKC is on a 10-game losing streak, kind of sad. They don't have SGA, but my boy had a fire week. He had a 42-point game high against Utah out of his three games this week, but his averages for the week are pretty insane. 32 points, six rebounds, two assists, 2.7 steals, 52% from the field, 56% from three. Remember last year when they were in the playoffs, they would like leave him open for three. Now he's shooting 56% from three in three games. Like, you know, he was injured the week the week before or a couple weeks before. And honestly, it's it's great to see Canadian basketball on the rise. I wanted to give him a shout out. You know, probably not getting the recognition he deserves because they're they're just having a terrible season, but definitely definitely a surprise. Yeah, no, he's been his shooting this season, and like you mentioned, in the bubble, they were giving them Tony Allen treatment or the Andre Robinson treatment. Like they weren't, I remember in the Houston series, like they were daring him to shoot. They were giving them any frees he wanted. I think he had one game where he had a lot of frees, but for the most part, he was bricking the majority of his frees. And then he comes into this season and he's been hitting them. He's just shooting unconscious. And he, especially this week, he's hitting all his frees. Unreal, unreal. And I got to give him some props for that. He's putting his work in the summer, definitely. Yeah, heck of a surprise. Canadian basketball is on the rise. Shout out all my Canadians hooping out there. But this dude, he means something to me just because we had that conversation about legacy. Westbrook. 
I know you're a hater of Westbrook, even though KD shunned him on his top five list and then later put him back on. Stude is something else. He had three triple doubles in four games this week. He should have had four in four games, but he had nine assists against New Orleans. Crazy numbers. 25 points, 14 rebounds, 11 assists, two steals, 52% from three, and he's only attempting two threes a game right now during their run. Honestly, crazy numbers in their winning streak right now. He's a plus 10 on the court. I love this guy. I love just the passion he plays with. It's contagious. The Wizards are starting to get healthy. I don't know. They could be scary. Yeah. The key thing that you just mentioned and you emphasized it, I think, was two threes a game. And I mentioned him when I said he was uh, overrated on a few podcasts ago. How I think he shot four or five threes for his career. And he's a 30% three-point shooter. So when Westbrook's balling, and he, like, I'll give him props. He puts up numbers. And when he's, at times, he's balling a lot. And he's impacting the game offensively and defensively in a winning way. And during those stretches, he's it's always, he's shooting one or two three-pointers a game. He has a low amount of three-pointers. That's not his game, for shooting three-pointers. And he, sometimes I think he realizes that. But, you know, he wants to get buckets. Everyone wants to get buckets. And it's an easy way to shoot threes. But when he's impacting the game winning, and the Wizards will talk about them later, they're winning a lot of games recently. When he's playing like this, it's because he's shooting less threes. He's driving to the rim more. His mid-range jumper, even though it's inefficient, an inefficient shot in today's NBA, it's way better than his three-point shot. So when he's shooting mid-ranges and when he's driving to the lane like this, he impacts winning. And it shows by the record. I know people like overrate the three ball. Not overrate, but there's, they emphasize on the three ball so much. But I feel like when you can dominate a certain aspect of the game, then you can minimize the effect of the three ball. Like Zion, he does not shoot any three balls, but he can make a huge impact because of how much he gets to the rim and dominates the paint. And I think Russell needs to realize that like the three ball is just not maybe if you're hot, like you've hit like a couple jumpers here, gone to the basket, and then you can take a three. But yes, he needs to limit his game to a couple threes, maybe even no, no threes and just constantly attack the basket, put pressure, create, because that's how he can cause a, a major difference on this team because they're healthy now. Yeah, no, everything you just said, I, I agree with. Uh, I had two guys on my eyes for this past week. Obvious choice, Steph Curry. He's been balling out of his mind for the past week, past two weeks, I'll say, but definitely this week. Uh, he's been the best player in the NBA. You can't argue against that. For his past seven games, he's averaging 41 points, six boards, and five assists a game. And wait for it. Wait for the shooting splits. 57% from the field, 52% from free, and 90% from free throws. Those are some crazy, crazy numbers. He's been he, he, he's unstoppable right now. The net is like the size of a hula hoop for him right now. I was watching the Celtics game on Saturday night. The shots his man was taken. Oh, just he cooked Peyton Pritchard a couple of times. Like, it was unreal. It's like, welcome to the league, rookie. You can't guard me. Whatever you do, you can't guard me. Uh, any shot I shoot, it's going in. And sometimes I'm watching him. It's like, why don't you shoot every time, Steph Curry? Shoot like 40 shots a game, especially on nights when it's just going in like that against the Celtics. Why not just every, like, even the half court shots? I know it's an inefficient shot, but it seems like every time he shoots from deep, it's going in. So sometimes I wonder, like, why not shoot a little bit more? Go for the NBA. I know he's been close to the NBA record for three pointers a few times. Like, why not? Just go for it. Just chuck it up every time you get up. Yeah. And you know what's crazy? Um, I was also on Twitter and Skip Bayless, the famous Skip Bayless, tweeted out some congratulations to Steph Curry. And he's like, oh, shout out Steph Curry, the best regular season shooter of all time. And I'm like, you know what? That's crazy. But I wish Steph adapted more of a selfish mindset just because their team isn't as good. And you would want to see him like force his team, will his team to win some games, stop being so unselfish and just do what MJ does. Take as many shots as it needs for you guys to win, right? Because they could have won that game against uh, the Celtics. They were up six. He had a three. They were up six, four minutes left. You would think they would close it out, but he's just not the type of player he is. 
Yeah, one one more thing about Steph Curry. I think I know it's going to be a little controversial, and this might be like an off season topic we can talk about. I don't want to get too deep into this, but I just got to mention. I think we're, we're reaching the stage where the way the guy's shooting, the way he's scoring throughout his whole career, like we've never seen anything like this from any position, but especially the point guard position. I think we're reaching the point. Like he's on my list. He's second of all time, definitely point guard in NBA history. And I think we're reaching this. St- I know it's controversial. We're reaching the stage where we got to argue. Maybe is he the best point guard of all time? Is he better than Magic Johnson? I know he doesn't have the accolades of Magic, but man, this guy's unguardable. Well, he is guardable because Kevin Love guarded him. We've seen in some crucial moments him not show up with a stacked team. And remember last episode, I said, oh, when you have a stacked team, it should be easier for you. I think he could be placed number two, to be honest. I'd have to do some more research, but off the top of my head, I really don't think anyone would be like, oh my God, this is an insane statement if you put him at number two. Yeah, no, like like you said, I think the... His playoff uh, history, he, he lacks the accolades of Matt Johnson. I think mean, Johnson's got five rings. I think mean, three or four finals MVPs. That's a big thing on Stephen Curry. He doesn't have a finals MVP. So that's holding him back at the time. But I do think there could be a conversation to be had. But moving on, I think uh, I show love to one more guy, DeAndre Ayton, who I mentioned in the third podcast, was on my fantasy team, and he had been a big disappointment this season. Uh, I was expecting him to take the next step with Chris Paul as a lead point guard, un- unlock his offensive game. He's been pretty disappointing all year, but... For the past two weeks, uh, he's averaging 18.5 points per game, 10.5 boards a game, and 1.5 blocks a game. And the Phoenix Suns during that time are 6-2. and two. Uh, some, uh, I was looking at a Chris Paul quote. He's like, we'll go as far as DeAndre Ayton wants us to go. Like He's a p- big key to this team, defensively and offensively. And something's awoken him in, in the past uh, few weeks. And if Phoenix, if he can keep this up, this level of play, I know I wasn't very high on Phoenix. I said they are going to be a first-round exit. But, hey, if he's playing like this... I might need to rescind my uh, rescind my predictions. Yeah, no, he's uh, he's been a monster. And honestly, maybe they smell some blood. You know, we're going to talk about Jamal Murray getting injured later on in the podcast. But, you know, maybe they smell some blood. The Lakers aren't 100 percent. The Nuggets aren't 100 percent. It's only really like the Clippers. I don't believe in the Jazz at all. I'm going to keep that point. You would probably see a second round exit from them. But uh, no, got to show him some love for sure. I think some other crazy news coming out this week is not news, but more so streaks that we're seeing. The Celtics, they're on a six-game winning streak right now. Remember earlier on the season, they were in like ninth seed. People are wondering what's going on. Well, they're tied for fourth right now. And my boy Jason Tatum, holy, that kid is special, bro. I don't care if I'm not a fan of the Celtics, but yo, that kid is nasty. He had a 44-point game this week. In the month of April, he's at a 50-piece, a 40-piece. He's averaging 29 points, 8 rebounds, 3 assists, 52% from the field, 43% from 3. They have one loss in the month, and that was to Philly. They're on a 6-game winning streak right now, tied with the Hawks, half a game ahead of the Knicks. The 4-5-6 spot right now, that battle in the East, 4-5-6, is going to be crazy. I think the Celtics are going to just win out just because they have an immense amount of talent. Yes, they don't know who the center position will be. But man, you have Jalen Brown, Kemba Walker, Jason Tatum, Marcus Smart, team is stacked. I definitely think they're the team on the rise right now. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. Uh, I think I mentioned a few podcasts ago about the Celtics were a sleeper pick for championship. They made a good move for the uh, at the NBA trade deadline. Uh, they, I was like, aiming for them to go for Vucevic, but they went for Evan Fournier. So, but I still thought that was a solid pickup. Uh, another team that you, we've talked about a little bit before, New York Knicks. They're on a five-game win streak, and like their defense is insane, their defense. I was watching them against the Pelicans on Sunday, and if you love defense— 
which I do. Those who know me, I love defense. Grinding out wins, diving on loose balls, just hustle. This is what the Knicks are all about. And it all starts with Thibodeau. Tom Thibodeau was the best hiring of the summer. Uh, he's changed the whole franchise in a season. Simple as that. They've been a laughing stock for the past four or five years. When they hired him, I mentioned his uh, first podcast, people were laughing. Oh, Thibodeau, he's going to injure everyone. He's going to play Randall 40 minutes. He's going to play RJ 45 minutes, which he does. He's, I think I saw some crazy stat uh, a couple games ago. RJ Barrett played, I think, like 46 minutes, 45 or 46 minutes, something like, something crazy like that. They won the game, and everyone's been pretty healthy, but they're not laughing stock anymore. I think going into the next season, and they're going to have cast space in two or three years. I think free agents are going to want to play for Tibbs. He he makes winning basketball. I mentioned it before. Every stop he goes, Chicago, Minnesota, their teams win. And I think this next season is going to be a little dangerous in the playoffs. I don't think their their shooting's going to hurt them in the come the first round, the playoffs. But I do think I think they're going to be in the fourth seed. That's my prediction. They don't seem they're not slowing down right now. I think they're going to have home court advantage coming into the playoffs. I do think their lack of shooting, like I mentioned, it's going to hurt them. They haven't they don't have any free ball shooting. But their defense is going to keep it in every game. There's not going to be any blowouts. That's for sure. Their defense is going to keep them in, and it's going to be a tough out for any team that plays them. No, my my money's on the Celtics getting that fourth seed. But hey, Celtics versus Knicks first round. I won't I won't be upset with that. I was looking at their schedule, actually, and they got some key matchups. They got the Hornets, playoff team, Hawks, they sit in the fourth seed, the Raptors, bubble team. So they got some tough games this week. Who knows? If they win all three, that might change my opinion. But I don't know. I definitely do see them being the fifth seed and the Hawks dropping. Definitely, definitely surprising. But for me, just because I'm a Raptors fan, just as exciting as the 4-5-6 matchup is right now, the 10, 11, 12 spot for me, Eastern Conference, that bubble for that fighting for that last spot is super tight. The Raps, Bulls, Wizards, all tied for that 10th spot. Bulls are on thin ice because Zach Levine is in health, health and safety protocols for two weeks. The Raptors are on a three-game winning streak, but they're clearly tanking. Because, bro, on Sunday when they played the Thunderman, Siakam wasn't playing, Lowry wasn't playing, Van Fleet wasn't playing, OG wasn't playing. Still somehow won against the Thunder. I don't know. You could easily tell, like, I think Ujiri's made up his mind. They want to go for a high draft pick this summer. Whereas the Wizards, on the other hand, who knew? They were like, oh, my God, the worst duo. But you, we talked about it earlier with Westbrook. He's just going off with the numbers. Bradley Beal just came back. He had a 37-point game. Hachimura is back. They're on a four-game winning streak. Their next couple games are GSW. The Cavs, I don't know, man. They play OKC twice. This could easily turn from a four-game win streak to an eight-game winning streak, put some separation between themselves and the Bulls and the Raptors. I don't know, man. That pick you had of the Bulls making the playoffs and somewhat, you know, being a tough out, it's looking kind of hard right now. Yeah, I'll admit I am sweating my pick just a tad bit. The Bulls, they haven't exactly, like, it's hard to be a dominant team to acclimate Nikola Vucic into the offense and defense when your star player Levine has been out. He was injured for a bit and now he's in the health and safety protocols for two weeks. So yeah, it's not looking too good for the Bulls this season. But like I said numerous times, uh, this pickup wasn't for the season. It's for the years to come. When Patrick Williams makes the next step next season in the sophomore season, I think they'll be a they'll be a contender next year. The Wizards, I was doing some research on them. They're winning games. Like you mentioned, they have an easy schedule. They have, since the All-Star game, the third easiest schedule. They're winning their games they're supposed to. So I'll give them props for that, but like I'm not scared of them come playoff time. I don't think they're going to make the playoffs. Scott Brooks has made a few key changes. Uh, the Daniel Gafford pickup, 
from the Bulls. Trade deadline. He's been their starting center for the past uh, few weeks now. He offers them athleticism and defense that Robin Lopez and Alex Landon provide. And they're, they're all the rotation pretty much now, those two big men. And Gafford's eating up a lot of the minutes. And he's a young center who has some potential. So I'm good with that. And he's stopped playing Jerome Robinson, who, based on his stats, is a Pretty sure he's like the worst NBA player in the for the past like two seasons. And for some reason, Scott Brooks was playing them some games like 30, 35 minutes a game. Uh, so he's been out of the rotation for the past two or three weeks, which is good to see. I also think the Raptors, I think they may make a push if their guys are healthy. That's a question. I see OG Aniobi, he's, he's always a game time decision. Van Vliet, his hips might be bothering him. If they're healthy, they might make the 10th seed, but... If they're not, they're going to be 12 seed, definitely. Man, come on. I, you could tell Ujiri is tanking, but I'm just saying, I feel like it could be more intriguing if the Wizards make that 10th seed because if I'm the Pacers, I'm shook because I got to guard Beal and Westbrook. You're telling me Beal and Westbrook can't go get you a game or two in the bubble. And then, you know, they'll fall into the eighth seed. I don't know if I'm... Imagine I'm the Nets and I see KD versus Westbrook in the first round as a fan I'm like oh man that's that's a spicy matchup especially after you know Katie purposely left Westbrook off his list and then some someone had to remind him or even the Sixers versus the Wizards and Bede versus Westbrook I don't know it's intriguing it's intriguing and speaking about this play-in tournament brings us to our next topic right Luka Doncic basically he came out and they spoke about how they they're not a fan of the play-in tournament per se just because they feel like they played 72 game seasons, you play so hard just to earn a top eight seed. And then you're telling these players, if you lose two in a row, which happens to a bunch of teams in the NBA, you can lose two games in a row. It's just bad shooting nights. You're out, which I agree for a seven, eight seed. It sucks. And I think it sucks this year as well, because the schedule is so condensed. But at the same time, I do understand why they have it in. And I think it's because teams could have been affected by COVID more than others right i'm not saying every team was affected the same amount but some of these teams that are ninth seed 10th seed they could have just missed their players a handful more games and that's the difference so i feel like the only way they should have had the play-in games is sort of what they like what they did last year is like if you're five games or four games in that mix then you can fight for a play-in tournament but hey it's it's great for the fans and like i just said like the matchups could be insane right you could have kd versus westbrook in the first round who wouldn't pay money to watch that right it's just it's an exciting thing that the nba put in for the fans and i agree with luca you know it's tough you play 72 games you can get knocked out after two games like that's not what you play the season for right you play for a chance to compete you want to be in a seven game series but hey Cash rules everything around me. Yeah, someone needs to go tell Luca to go watch some MLB because in American baseball, they play 162 games and then they decide two playoff bursts by one game. So it's hard to feel sorry for him this season. Uh, me personally, I love the play-in tournament. Last year in the bubble, it was fun to watch. I had a little extra excitement. I think all the fans are going to love it. The thing is, you lose nothing by trying it for a few seasons. If it doesn't work this season, it doesn't work next season. And you go back to your old format. But I think after people get used to it, come come the come those games, everyone's gonna be eating it up. Everyone on social media, on ESPN, on Twitter, everyone's gonna be loving these games, it's gonna add extra excitement and adds extra money. Playoff games make more money. It's gonna add more revenue to the NBA. And for the NBA, what we've known all along is it's all about money. It's a business, the NBA. So I think these games are gonna be great for the NBA. And I also think another good point for it, it eliminates some tanking. It adds a little incentive to teams to try to make these playoffs. Because you maybe get some playoff games on TV, it's a little more extra revenue, gets playoff excitement, get some more fans in the crowd. So I think it eliminates a little bit of tanking. You look at a team like the Kings this season, who were my who I thought were gonna make the playoffs. Uh, they're on like a one and nine they're one and nine in their past ten games, so they're not looking too good, but before those games, 
they were close to those playing games. A team that maybe they should have been tanking, but had a little incentive. It's going to make the NBA a little more competitive, I think. So I think I'm all in for the playing games, and I think they're going to work out great this year and in the future. Yeah, no, for sure. I'm I'm all for the playing games. I understand if I was on one of those teams, a two game losing streak, and I'm the seventh seed or I'm the eighth seed, and I'm out. It's tough. It's tough to swallow. But Luca, come on, man, you're a great player. I don't think you should be worried about beating some of these lower seeds. And I also got to say, if you're if you lose two straight games to a team in a temp spot, uh, you're not going to be beating the first place team. Simple as that. So win your game and simple as that. Stop crying, win your games and deal with it. You got to look at the angle where you're like, Luke is looking at it as he's looking at the old playoffs. This is the new playoffs. Top six teams get guaranteed. Simple as that. You got to look at it that way. Top six teams get guaranteed. Make the top six, you're guaranteed. You don't. And you fight. Simple as that. He's looking at the old way. He's got to look at top six teams, make the playoffs. You're right. It is. A, it's a new playoff format, and I totally agree with you. But he's not the only Mavs affiliate that was crying. Not crying. It's kind of probably a little harsh. But Mark Cuban was also saying it's a big mistake this year, even though he did vote to have in the playing tournament. But I think he's more against it because of the shortened season, making it tougher on players, right? We have teams playing six games in eight nights. It's harder on the body. We see it on these some of these star players, right? We're missing Jamal Murray, who just got injured for the rest of the year. Tough for the Nuggets. AD's been out for a while. LeBron's been out. Donovan Mitchell just got injured. KD's been out all year, basically. Harden's out. Kevin Love's been injured. D'Angelo Russell's been injured. Otto Porter. The list goes on and on and on. And it seems crazy, right? It's like I'm naming all these players and it might be like, oh my God, in this shortened season, it's the most injuries ever. But surprisingly, Zach Lowe was on the jump and he said, actually, even though we're seeing some of these big name stars injured, it's actually not the most injuries we've ever had in an NBA season. The overall injuries are down from previous years, which is surprising. But I think that's more due to the fact that teams are seeing their stars get injured and they're starting to rest players, right? Even though they're not. And you saw the NBA starting to find some teams. They find the Raptors, they find the Spurs for holding out some players. And I think they have to because of the condensed schedule. So I think all in all, Mark is still in for the play-in tournament because he voted for it. But these shortened schedules are causing injuries, which could derail the playoffs, right? Imagine having like Luca getting injured in the playing games, right? That's going to ruin then the second seed versus the seventh seed matchup, which is where, you know, the NBA is going to make a lot of money, right? They want those games to be competitive. But hey, man, like I said before, cash rules everything around me. Yeah, no, my issue with the NBA in returns of the shortened, in regards to the shortened season is all the back-to-back games that teams are being forced to play. Uh, before Jamal Murray's injury, Nuggets played five games in seven days. Jamal Murray wasn't playing in any of those games, but still, five games in seven days is a ridiculous amount for any team, for any person, not even professional athletes. I play one session of basketball, pick up basketball in the morning. I'm done for two days. My, my knees are hurting, my legs are hurting, everything's aching. So I can't imagine, and I'm barely running up the court. I'm walking up the court half the time, you know? So I can't imagine these professional athletes cutting hard to the rim, dunking the basketball, up and down the court for a whole NBA game, having to play five games in seven days, having to play back-to-back. No wonder all these injuries are happening, all these major injuries NBA stars. I don't blame these NBA teams for sitting people out. It's ridiculous. But like you said, it's all about money. And like I mentioned before, it's all about money. You can't be cutting games. You got to make the money, TV revenue. And unfortunately, that's the way the NBA is. But eventually, you got to realize these back-to-back games are hurting, hurting players. It makes no sense why we still have back-to-back games. Make the season longer. 
That's that's one thing I would say. Make the season longer, eliminate back-to-back games, extend the season, have more space in between games, and then we can eliminate those games. Another thing I also say is instead of making up all these games late into the season like they're doing, all these COVID uh, injury games they're throwing at the end of the season, I thought one idea they could do was just to go off win percentage. Instead of forcing these games on the teams, having all these back-to-back games, go off win percentage. Have a minimum of... I forget how many games are in a season, but I have a minimum of 50, 55 games played and then just base it off win percentage. That's another idea, I thought. No, um, it's tough this year, right? Usually there aren't as many back-to-back games in a regular NBA season, but you know, they have to cut the season short because they don't want it interfering with baseball or football or some of these other sports that might start up. So I think that's why they've condensed it so much because they want to get back also. You don't want your NBA season to go all the way till August because you don't want to avoid these games and then the next season have to start late. They're trying to make it back to the season starting late October, early November, right? That's their goal, get back to a regular 82-game season. So I understand it. I just don't think they understood what it would do to some of these players, right? Like LeBron, some of these players went on a long playoff run and then they had to come back a couple months later for another season. Maybe they should have done less than 72 games in my opinion, but you're right, man. Money, Money runs everything. That, that's just what it is at the end of the day. Yeah, no, you mentioned you mentioned just mentioned a good point. You had four teams deep into the playoffs. You had the Nuggets, Lakers, Western Conference Finals, and then Miami and the Celtics and the other Western uh, Eastern Conference Finals. And those teams played late, at, I think, until the beginning of October, late September, early October. And then they're starting up already in, in January on Christmas, uh, Christmas Day, they're starting the season. You're asking that Nuggets team, who just barely had two months off, basically. They had two months off. You're asking them to play five games in seven days? It's ridiculous, in my opinion. No, I'm not uh, disagreeing with you, but at the end of the day, they could have made a, uh, to be honest, a more condensed, not condensed, sorry, a, a shortened schedule, maybe 50 games. That way they could have spread it out over the months, but money rules everything, man. But let's not dwell on this. Let's not dwell on this because there was some other news that came out. I want to switch topics a little because I'm not used to people just coming out and being like, I'm this, I'm that. Ben Simmons came out and he's been barking that he's defensive player of the year over Rudy Gobert. And you know what? I love it when a player is so upfront. I'm not a big fan of Ben Simmons, to be honest. I think he cost him his team a couple of playoff wins because he doesn't shoot the ball, but he is a great defender. And I'm, I love the fact that he came out and he says he deserves to be defensive player of the year over Rudy Gobert. That's some real, real, real shit. Can't even lie. But I want to hear your take on this before I before I give my piece. Yeah, I'll give him. He's a great defender. Uh, I look at it a little differently. It seems a little a little sensitive that you got to talk about yourself to the media and how, how great you are. Uh, he seems to have some issue with awards. And I know when he was Donovan Mitchell, yeah, when for rookie of the year, he was always talking a little bit of trash and oh, I deserve this award, this and that. And now he's talking about oh, I deserve defensive player of the year over Gobert. So he has some issues with. Maybe even Utah in general. He has seen, some reason he seems to be beefing. Always Utah. Uh, he claims he scored 42 on Gobert on that one game where he just exploded for points. But in reality, he shot 3-7 when Gobert was actually guarding him as a primary defender. You got to give a little context, context there, Ben. Two different styles of defense. You got Simmons. Like I said, he's an amazing defender. He can guard one through five, legit. Like some people say, oh, this guy, he can guard everyone one through five. No, but he can't. Ben Simmons is legit. He can guard one through five pretty well. Like he's not, obviously not going to guard Joel Embiid, like great, but he can probably hold up a decent decent bit. And then you got Gobert, who offers elite rim protection. They're very different. He offers elite rim protection. Teams are scared to go in the paint. No one's going to drive on Gobert. Teams are going to chuck three pointers up because they got Gobert in the paint. They want to take, they try to attack Gobert on a pick and roll because they don't want him in the paint. They try to get a switch because they don't want Gobert in the paint simple as that he impacts the game so much he, teams are scared to drive because you got one of the best rim protectors in nba history guarding them 
So for my defensive player of the year, I got to go with Gobert because he's been the best defender in the league for a long time. And I think he gets hated on a lot for no some reason, like even from his peers in the NBA. No one seems to give the respect that he deserves. And you look at this guy, they got the best record in the NBA. So a lot of it to Gobert. You look at Ben Simmons. Who's Ben Simmons got? He's got Joel Embiid. And Joel Embiid just came in the media last week, just told the media, says, I think I should be defensive player of the year. So you're telling me you got two defensive player of the years on one team. Who's who's Gobert got? Royce O'Neal? Joe Ingles? Royce O'Neal is a good defender, but the list goes on. Joe Ingles? Bohan Bogdanovich? Donovan Mitchell? Ben Simmons got Joel Embiid protecting the rim. It helps uh, Ben Simmons a lot. So I got to go with Gobert. Simple as that. Man, oh man. The game has changed over the years, right? So it used to be the big man used to always be, most of the time, be considered for Defensive Player of the Year, you know, here and there, Kawhi Leonard. It's just recently started changing, right? And they're important because you're right, they lock down the paint, they control the game, but we switched to small ball right now. And Rudy's not always on the court. Like when a team puts out a death lineup where everyone can shoot, Rudy's a liability on defense. It's just sad to say, right? Just, just, that's just how the game has become. So now forward, like Ben Simmons, to me is way more valuable on the defensive end. You don't keep Gobert out on the floor unless there's a player who can't shoot because then he can still affect the game on the defensive end. But now you have teams that can put out lineups with five shooters. And once you put Gobert out on the perimeter, someone's going to blow by him. Whereas with Simmons, even without Embiid, you can put Simmons as your five and your team's defensive ability will still be there. But Defensive Player of the Year is a regular season award. So Gobert, he gets 10 defensive rebounds per game, three blocks. Simmons, 1.6 steals, six defensive rebounds a game. It is an individual award, but defense is the one category that it affects your team statistics. Sixers are second in defensive rating. Jazz are fourth. One point difference separates them. You're going to be like, oh, one, you said one team has Embiid. Who does Gobert have? But Embiid's been injured as well, right? So, and you also talked about, oh, Rudy, he locks down the paint. So second chance points with Rudy in the middle, you know, he's locking down the paint. He should be gobbling up all all the rebounds and all that stuff. They rank 13th in the NBA in second chance points. The Sixers, they rank second. I think that that's a solid point for Ben Simmons because clearly Rudy's not doing an exceptional job of locking up the, the paint. Speaking of the paint as well, if Rudy's locking up the paint, teams should not be scoring as much as they do on Utah. They rank 25th in the NBA in points allowed in the paint. Man, what is he doing? It's open season. The Sixers are ranked 11th. They're not great, but they're doing better than the best defensive player in the league the past couple of years. So for me, I would have to say Ben Simmons is definitely the defensive player of the year this year. I just think he's shown it on with the eye test as well. Like, he can go and guard your best player if you need to. He said it himself. Like one day he was preparing to guard Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant didn't play. He had to go guard Kyrie Irving. You're not saying that about Rudy Gobert. The game has changed, man. It's not the days of where Ben Wallace and could be defensive player of the year because there's always a big man who plays back to the basket. The game has expanded and Rudy is a dinosaur now. So I don't I don't think that type of player deserves to be defensive player of the year anymore. Okay, Sadie Gay, I see you coming up with the numbers for once to back up your bold statements. I see you. Usually it's me doing the research, but I'll give you a little respect for that. I do have I have some numbers for you. One number, at least. Uh, you mentioned how they're 25th in points in the paint and the Sixers 11th. And you mentioned, oh, maybe it's because they run players off the three-point line. You got to look at the three-point defense, the Utah Jazz. Second in the NBA, only behind the New York Knicks. So this team, like you mentioned, their focus 
is on three-point defense, which any intelligent team will do in the NBA today. It's all about the free ball. You start the free ball, you're most likely going to win games. So you say, oh, they're 25th, points in, uh, 25th in points in the paint. That's by design. Simple as that. They want people driving to the rim. Obviously, Rudy, Rudy Gobert, a great paint defender. He's not going to stop everything. So, But they're stopping the three-point, and that's why they have the best record in the NBA. Simple as that. So your your argument that they're 25th in points is a little flawed, in my opinion. Points in the paint is a little flawed. But now your argument about Rudy Gobert is flawed as well because clearly they have some great wing defenders that are defending the three-point basket. Am I wrong? I'm, I'm not. I'm just. I'm using what you're saying. And I'm just. You don't have to be. A, you don't have to be a great wing defender to run a guy off the line. You close out hard, make him drive to the paint. Simple as that. Like I said, they have Royce O'Neal. He's a plus defender. Donovan Mitchell, decent defender. I'll give him that. But Bogdanovich, he ain't guarding anyone. Joe Ingles, he's slow now. They don't have much. They don't have a lot of great defenders. That's for sure. And like I said, it's not that hard to run guys out the free point there, which is by design. Hence why they have the best record in the NBA because they're knocking, locking guys up on the free point line. They're locking guys up on the three point line, but it's not hard to run people off the three-point. Yo, Hayden, look, I'll give you this. I went on NBA.com. I checked the Defensive Player of the Year rankings. Rudy is ranked number one. Ben Simmons is ranked number three behind Miles Turner, but I don't even consider Miles Turner in the running just because they're in the ninth seed right now. But hey, great, great conversations, but we got to wrap this show up. And for everyone who listens every week, you know what the next segment is. Games of the week. Hayden, what are you watching? Yeah, I got the Lakers and Mavs Thursday night primetime. We have two teams fighting for playoff positioning. The Mavericks have lost four out of five of their past games. And like we mentioned on the main topic of the show, uh, Luca, Mark Cuban, they're all kind of complaining about the playing game. So they don't want to be in the seventh or eighth spot. They want to fight for that sixth spot. And this is a must-win game for them. And for the Lakers, like we mentioned, the first, uh, when LeBron got injured, we thought they'd be tailing off a bit, possibly in the playing games. Uh, they've been winning games ever since they picked up Drummond. That's my guy, Andre Drummond, who's been balling. Uh, they've been winning a lot of games. So this is, a, once again, a must-win game for them. And also the big news for their team is AD is rumored to be coming back in one of the back-to-back games. They play the Mavericks also Saturday night. So he's rumored to be playing in one of those games. If he's healthy, LeBron's healthy, this team is the They're going to win a chip. Simple as that. Look, I do want the Lakers to slip to the sixth seed only because the Clippers are sitting at the third seed. And that would be an amazing first-round matchup. But for me, I looked at the entire week. And to be honest, there are some crazy games this week. First, I saw Hawks and Knicks. That's a battle for the fourth seed, like we mentioned earlier on the podcast. That's Wednesday night. Then there's Sixers-Bucks Thursday. That's a matchup right there. Then we got Celtics-Nets on Friday. Suns versus Nets on Sunday. That's a crazy week of hoops. I'm going to be watching hoops all week. My wife's going to be complaining, but we're lit. But yeah, man, that wraps up our show. Thank you all for tuning in to the Basketball Junkies podcast. Follow us on IG to keep up with all things NBA. This is your man, Sadie K. I'm signing off with my boy, Slim H. Peace.